it's designed for people that might not have been in church for a long time and for people that have been in church every week of their lives as long as they can remember. We believe that this story is compelling for both sets of people and for everyone in between. And tonight our passage from Scripture comes from the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible. If you have a Bible with you or if you have a Bible on your phone or iPad or whatever, rather than playing Clash of Clans or Angry Birds, pull out your Bible on your iPhone and open up to Genesis 12. It's also going to be projected on the wall and it's printed in your bulletin. Tonight I'm going to read for us Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to skip forward to chapter 15 and read that entire chapter. So Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and 15, 1 through 21. This is God's Word. Um, He has authored it, and it is meant for you now, no matter what's going on in your life. So give it your attention. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came again to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abraham said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Okay. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's ask God to help us as we spend time tonight in this part of his word. Father, tonight we ask that you would come here and through this 
very ancient story, which contains many ideas and names that are now very foreign to us. We ask that you would speak, that you would speak in a a way that is real, that is discernible, that you would speak to us of what is true, that you would show us, perhaps for the first time, that you exist and that you are gracious and that you long for us to come again into your family that you would speak to us and show us that you are a God who makes promises, and indeed you always keep the promises that you make. We ask tonight, Father, that you would speak to us, no matter where we are coming from, geographically or spiritually or psychologically. We ask that, Father, tonight you would speak to us if we're coming from a place of unbelief and doubt and skepticism. We ask that you would speak to us if we're here tonight wondering what in the world am I doing in this place? We ask that you would speak to us tonight, Father, if we are the most religious people we know and have been religious since we were babies. We ask that you would speak to us tonight, Father, if we are just now, maybe for the first time, beginning to taste and understand what grace is. Father, no matter who we are or where we're from, we ask tonight that you would remind us again that we are in so many ways a mixed bag, created in your image and made very good, and yet people who mess up, rebels against you, people who live in broken relationships in the midst of a broken world. And help us tonight to know that you do not stand back and watch as our lives fall apart, but know you come to us and enter into the darkness of our world to bring light. You come to us and enter into our pain to bring, to bring relief. Will you do that tonight? We pray these things in the name of your Son, the only begotten, Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, when my family lived in Tucson, I went to check the mail and came home and started going through the mail. And in the mail was a letter addressed to me, Luke Evans, and I opened it up and the letter read something like this. You have won a free cruise. All you have to do is visit www.freecruisesforsuckers.com or something like that. And, uh, you know, I thought, this is, this is for sure a scam, publisher's clearinghouse, whatever. But, you know, I, I let that letter sit there, and I was on the computer later, and thought, you know, I'm going to check this out. This doesn't look like publisher's clearinghouse, actually. It looks like something I've never seen before. And, you know, that cruise would be pretty awesome. And so I went to the website and started checking it out, and I'm telling you guys, this website is legit. I mean, they were saying, if you got this letter... You're going to get to go on this cruise for free. All you have to do is, you know, log in here and click here, and you're set. Free cruise, let us know. And it showed the port where you take off in South Florida, and it, it showed the number of days. It had an itinerary. It had everything. And as I was reading through this more and more and more, I'm becoming convinced that this is, this is the real deal. And I'm starting to get to the point where I'm thinking, okay, at what point am I going to share this with someone close to me? Namely, my family, my, my wife. And eventually, I felt confident enough to go out and say, Marianne, look at this. We, <laughs> you remember this? We have, uh, we're going on a cruise, honey. We landed on the moon. You know, we're going on a cruise. Can you believe this? We have won. And I, I've done the research. I've checked out the website. This is legit. Let's click on this place. The big red button, you know, that says click here for free cruise. Let's click. Let's, let's start clearing our calendar and figure out when we're going to do this, right? And Marianne very lovingly said, you're a sucker. This is not legitimate. You know, it's like if 
the movie Rounders where they say, if you're at the table for 15 minutes and you don't know who the sucker is, you are the sucker. That's how I, that's how I felt. I had been on this website for 15, 20 minutes. Wasn't quite sure if it was legitimate, but was becoming more and more persuaded that this was the real deal. And then Marianne hit me with a dose of reality in a very loving and gentle way, saying, this is not real, this is a scam. It's probably someone in, like, central Russia trying to get your credit card number. So we didn't go through with the cruise, probably wisely. But for a few moments, it felt really nice to think that someone would call me, or in this day and age, send me a letter and ask me to go to their website and give me something completely free of charge. It it felt good. I felt special. I thought, you know, this is pretty amazing if it's valid. Eventually, reality set in, and I knew it wasn't. But what if there were something like that in each of our stories that was entirely valid and credible? The Christian story, the Bible, speaks to us about this message of the gospel, which we've been talking about in various ways as we look at this story. And really what Christianity says is that God, the creator, calls each and every one of us and offers something to us completely free of charge, and it is not like the cruise line scam. It's 100% credible and valid. All we have to do is believe it. As we get to the story that we're going to talk about tonight, that sort of idea and image really begins to become clearer for the first time. We've been looking at this idea of the big story of the Bible for a number of weeks now. And we've seen that God made this world, Genesis chapter 1. Everything that is not God is made by God. He made this world and he made it good. And then he made man in his image to be like him and to rule this world under his divine authority. But man rebelled against God. They decided that they didn't think God was a good enough king and they wanted to be king themselves. And so they broke the commandment that God had given them and plunged this world. They plunged their lives and each of our lives as their descendants into chaos, into peril, into ruin, into eventual death. Last week we saw that things got so bad in the early millennia, the early centuries of the, of the human story, that God intervened in divine judgment and wiped out humanity in this flood, this universal flood that we read about last week. But through that flood, he preserved one family, the family of Noah. Now we pick up the story thousands of years tonight after Noah has died. And in the intervening thousands of years, which really are recorded in Genesis chapter 10 and 11, the world has been, according to the Bible, it's been repopulated. Culture has been created. Cities have been built. People have had children, and they've spread out across the globe again. And to this point in the story, for the first 11 chapters in the Bible, it's sort of like a a macroscopic view of the world. It's like when you zoom out as far as you can zoom out in Google Earth, you know, you see the whole globe. That's the first 11 chapters of the Bible. And then in Genesis 12, where we begin tonight, we see a microscopic view begin to take hold. We zoom in to one particular descendant of one of Noah's sons, a man named Terah, and his family. He had three sons as well, one of whom was named Abram or Abraham. And tonight we begin to read about his story. And really, the rest of the Christian scriptures, the rest of the story of the Bible, Old and New Testaments, are the story of Abraham and his family. And so if you're going to understand Christianity, you've got to understand something about Abraham. Abraham 
you could make the case that he's the most important person in the Bible other than Jesus. He's definitely in the top three in the Old Testament. Moses, David, Abraham. He's a big, big character in the Christian story. And we've got to summarize the idea that God wants to communicate to us tonight through this story of Abraham. We can't say everything. And so what I want to do for you tonight is tell you three things, three points about this God as he intervenes in the life of this one man and makes him these audacious promises. Three things about the story of God in the life of Abraham. One, God calls. Two, God binds himself. And then three, this will be the shortest point, God sends. Okay, there's your outline. God calls, God binds himself, God sends. Okay, so let's jump into the scriptures and see what God has for us. First, we see in these first few verses of Genesis chapter 12 that God calls. Just read through those verses again silently and see there that almost out of nowhere, all of a sudden, we see God come and speak to this one man, Abram. I'm going to call him Abraham because that's what his name is about to become. Um, As I said, the previous 11 chapters, if you were just to take Genesis 1 and start reading, and you read all the way through Genesis 11, it's big, big story, big picture ideas that are being talked about here, like the flood wiping out the world and man being created and God putting man in a garden, like big, big things. And then seemingly you get to chapter 12, verse 1, and out of nowhere... Suddenly, we just read this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And he just says to him, go from your country and your people and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Boom, right there. God simply, out of the blue, calls him. That is, in itself, worth thinking about for just a minute. There's two things I want you to get about this idea that God calls. He calls Abraham, and he calls you and me. And the first thing that I want you to see is this. God calling Abraham happens simply because God chooses to call Abraham, not because of anything in Abraham himself. And and I want you to see how the story very, very forthrightly, even in the structure of the narrative, brings that out. I mean, God... Listen, God just appears out of nowhere here, basically. After thousands of years, after intervening in in the life of Noah, and he just starts speaking. And notice the keynote of what God initially says to Abraham is just to make him these promises. Out of nowhere, God appears and says, Abraham, go. I promise that I will bless you, that you will have many descendants, and that through your family, every nation on the world will be blessed. And here's what you need to get. God did not, from his lofty perch up in heaven, look down upon the face of humanity and say, which one of these people is doing really, really, really well? Who is the most righteous and the most godly among them? That is the man or that is the woman that I am going to reveal myself to. There is absolutely no hint of that in the text whatsoever. The only explanation that we have for why God appears to Abraham and begins to speak is because God simply wanted to do so. Now, here's what that means for you. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus, if you follow him, if you've made him the Lord of your life, then you need to remember again, or maybe here for the first time in these words, that the reason you're a Christian is solely because God called you. 
All of the circumstances in your life that have led you to the point of faith were very important. Perhaps you had a dramatic conversion experience in your earlier years. Perhaps you grew up in a Christian home where your family taught you the Bible and took you to church every week. Perhaps you're just now, in recent days, beginning for the first time to understand the message of grace. All of those ways are important, but behind all of those ways, behind all of those circumstances, ultimately lies the sovereign initiative of God. Listen, God is the initiator of your relationship with him, not you. God is the ultimate seeker. God is the one who first pursues you if you have decided to pursue him in faith. You know, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're, you're not sure, or if you're wondering what Christianity is about, then I want you to hear that as well. The reason that Joe Schmo is a Christian, and the reason that Fanny Faye isn't a Christian isn't because person A is smarter or sort of figured it out or was better and more moral or decided that they just wanted to be religious. And the reason that person B isn't a Christian isn't because this person's really, really, really bad, that they've done a lot to screw things up, that they are more out of favor with God than person A. The reason that anyone in the universe is a Christian is because God, in his grace, decided to call them. That's exactly what happens to Abraham. It's what initiates his story. And it's exactly what is happening to you, maybe right now, maybe in recent weeks. In recent days, you've felt a stirring in your spirit, a sense that that there's something in this world other than you, a sense that there is someone above who maybe is watching out for you or is after you. You have that sense? Have you ever felt that? If you have, I would put forward to you the idea that that God is, is after you. God is pursuing you. God calls us. And the reason God calls Abraham, the reason God calls any of us is because God in his grace and love simply decides to do so. It's not because those who are called are better off in any way than those who are not. Second thing you've got to get about this idea of God calling. God calls Abraham out of his sovereign grace because he simply wanted to do it, and then he he asks Abraham to trust him. He asks Abraham to have faith. You know, the call, the call of God to go there in chapter 12, verse 1. And then these promises that God suddenly and sovereignly makes to Abraham. These things bring some scary potential into Abraham's life. I mean, think about it with me. Think about how little Abraham is told here. He's just going about his business in the Middle East, ancient Middle East, Ur of the Chaldeans, hanging out with his family, and all of a sudden God appears and says, go to this land that you've never been to before, but that eventually in thousands of years is going to be yours and your descendants. Go. Think about what Abraham must have thought. He must have thought, are you serious? I'm 75 years old or whatever. I've got stuff going on here. I've got shepherd. I've got flocks to shepherd. I've got a lot going on, God. But he goes. God asks him to simply, to simply take him at his word. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
This is vivid in chapter 15 too. God comes to God, Abraham, God comes to Abraham again and says, I'm going to give you many, many children. And this land on which you're now standing, now he's in Canaan, the promised land, that's all going to be yours someday. And Abraham, in a very, I think, humble way says, God, listen, I'm here. I went when you told me to go, but I don't have any kids. You're telling me my, my descendants are going to number like the stars in the heaven? Well, I, don't have, I have zero descendants right now, and my wife is barren. You're telling me this land is going to be mine? Right now it's inhabited by all these other occupying tribes. How is that ever going to happen? And God says, trust me, I am your shield and your very great reward. And Abraham believes. And in chapter 15, verse 6, we read, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But the point for now to get is this. God calls you to simply take him at his word. And listen, it's okay to admit that oftentimes that is really scary. Um, When God comes in and intervenes and starts messing with you, you're going to be afraid. Do you feel scared? What right now in your life makes you uncertain? What right now is causing your spirit to be troubled and on edge and uneasy? Maybe it's when you think like Abraham did about how little you really know about what's going to happen to you, much less, you know, in 10 years, much less tomorrow, much less in 10 years, right? Maybe it's when you think about how little control you really have over the circumstances that dictate your existence. Listen, faith, faith is simply being asked to trust God when everyone else thinks trusting God is crazy. You know, in a sense, what God is asking you here is to believe him just because he says so. If you're a parent, you've probably done that with your children. You tell your kids to do something, and they, in a rebellious way, you know, why? And you say, because I told you so. You know, I was always told that's bad parenting. You should not do that. Uh, you shouldn't just say, because I've told you so, into a sense that's legitimate, because we're not God. We're not the one who make all the rules. Uh, there's other ways to do that. But in a sense, I think that's exactly what God's saying to Abraham here. He's saying, I want you to go. I'm going to make these promises to you. And God's, Abraham says, God, I, I get it, but why should I believe you? I mean, this does not seem reasonable. And Ab- God basically says, because I told you so. Take me at my word. Have you ever done anything in your life simply because you felt like God was telling you to do it? What in your life are you doing right now simply because you love Jesus? Maybe it's being a part of a brand new church. Maybe it's trying to give away a certain amount of your money when other people think it's crazy to give anything away. Maybe it's trying to live a life of godliness in the midst of your family when the culture seems to be running completely opposite to the values you're seeking to instill in them. But whatever it is, that is the life of faith. God is calling you, you see. He's calling you sovereignly, and he's calling you to trust that he is good for his word. God calls. He calls Abraham, and he calls you. Second, God binds himself. Okay, that's what's happening in the rest of chapter 15. Super, super weird. Okay, it's okay to say that. This is a really, really strange thing. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars in the heaven, and I'm going to give you the land on which you're now standing. 
And Abraham says, how am I supposed to know that, God? I believe you, but show me some sign that that's legitimate. And so God says, okay, go take three cows, three goats, or one goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon, tear them in half, and lay them down in an aisle. Now, we think, as we read that, that is really bizarre. What does that have to do with anything? Abraham would have understood that immediately. Because this was a very common way in the ancient world of making a a, a covenant or or a pact or an oath. Think about it this way. If two kings in the ancient world want to sign a treaty together, they want to become allies, and they want to write down, hey, I'm going to do this for you, and you're going to do this for me, and if you do do this, I'm going to bless you, and if you don't do this, I'm going to wage war against you. If you want to write a treaty or a contract, you would have done something like this in the ancient world. It's a ratification ceremony. You get these animals, and it's very bloody and very nasty, but it's intentional. You tear the animals limb from limb, and you spread them in in two aisles, and then these two kings would walk in between the aisles. And as they're walking, they are saying symbolically, if I do not keep the promises that I am making in this covenant, may I become like these animals, severed, right, limb from limb, torn apart. It's a, it's a fun word, it's a self-maledictory oath. They're saying, I am going to inflict upon myself the pain that I see here vividly portrayed if I don't keep the deal I'm making with you. So God has made Abraham these promises. And then he sets up this ancient covenant ratification ceremony. But then there's a twist in the story. He puts Abraham to sleep. A deep sleep, the text says. And he causes Abraham to dream in deep darkness. And as Abraham opens his eyes in the vision that this dream gives him, he sees a flaming, what does the text say there? He sees a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between these pieces. Now, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch there symbolize the presence of God. God is, he is doing his part in the covenant-making deal. He's saying, I promise that I will keep my end of the bargain I'm making with you here, Abraham. And if I don't do it, I will tear myself limb from limb. But here's the twist. Abraham does not walk through with him. Why? The reason is that God wants to communicate to Abraham that this covenant, unlike any man-made covenant, is unilateral. This covenant is a a one-man show. God alone walks through the pieces in order to say to us that he will keep his promises and he will bear the punishment we deserve when we fail to keep ours. He's saying, I am going to hold up my end of the deal and then I am going to be torn apart when you refuse to hold up yours. You see, God walking through those torn animal pieces is a portrayal of Jesus walking the path to the cross. God coming in the the presence of this flaming torch is a picture of the great light of the world appearing in our world 2,000 years ago, holding up his end of this covenant by fully obeying God's law every second of his existence and then dying. Not because he deserved it, but because we deserve it. You see, what 
God is showing to Abraham here is that he, in Jesus, binds himself to keep his promises and to pay for our failures. You see, that's, that's the gospel. That's why we, in Christian circles, call this particular covenant the covenant of grace. It's gracious because God is doing everything he said he would do, and then we get all the benefits even though we don't do what we say we will do. It's gracious because God not only keeps his promises, but he pays for our failure to keep ours. What could that mean for you if you believe it? If you can get sunk deep into your spiritual bones that God, the real God, the God who is truly up there watching over us right this very minute is a God of grace, then you can get past your former failures. You can overcome the shame that continually plagues you now where you fail again and again at the same simple stuff and you say to yourself, I am such a moron. I can't believe that I messed this up again. I can't believe I've made such a mess out of my life when I knew better the whole time. I can't believe I've done this. I'm so unworthy. I don't deserve anyone's favor or love. If God is a God of grace and if God has paid for your failures and kept his end of the deal, then he has carried that shame from you. What does it mean that God is gracious? It means that your guilt very real, though it is, and very significant, though it is, is fully removed because God bore all of it in Jesus. You see, this part of the story is so significant because it reminds you through this vivid demonstration, this bloody demonstration, that it is going to take the shedding of blood for you to come back to God. But God is kind and loving enough to shed his own blood rather than yours. And so all you have to do is not walk through the pieces and take the punishment for your failures. No, God has done that for you in Jesus. All you have to do is trust that he will be faithful to what he has promised. Do you believe that? If you do, it will change you from the inside out, starting now and continuing forever. God calls God binds himself. Last, very quick, God sends. You know, he does speak an active verb to Abraham. Two, in fact. Go. And then, bless. You know, God says, I am going to do this for you. This is a unilateral covenant. I'm going to keep it, and I'm going to pay for your failure to keep it. You are set. I have called you. I have chosen you. You are mine now. I have placed my love on you. And then he says, Abraham, because all of that is true, I am calling you out to bless the world. You know, that was the original intent of God's people. It was to be a family, to be a tribe, to be a gathering of men and women and children who exist for those who are not yet a part of them. To exist to bless the rest of the tribes and the families and the gatherings of men and women and children of this world. 
God had a purpose for Abraham beyond merely saving him. And God has a purpose for us as Abraham's spiritual descendants beyond merely saving us. Listen, God does not call us to salvation and keep his end of the covenant and display abounding grace to us so that we can sit with people just like us who believe exactly what we believe and sing praise songs and ignore everybody else on our block. No. He says, I'm doing all of these things to send you. Go. I'm doing all of these things. I'm blessing you in this way so that you can then go and be a blessing. Listen, the church of Jesus, the family of Abraham, you and me, if you're a follower of him, exist for the sake of the people who are not yet here. This church does not exist to meet my preferences about preaching or worship music or community groups or whatever. This church does not exist because I thought there needs to be a church that I really, really want to be the pastor of that meets all my little whims. This church does not exist so that we can have 51% of our people satisfied with all the little Christian-y things that we're doing all the time. This church exists to reach people that are not yet aware that we exist. We exist as a people who are sent. What would it look like for us as a young church to exhibit that sort of tenacious calling? What would it look like for you in your own life, day by day, to take the blessing God has given you and be a blessing? Maybe it looks like inviting your neighbor over for dinner. Maybe it looks like having a conversation at work with your coworker that really seems to be down and depressed and really that you just would rather avoid. Maybe it looks like loving your children well when they're around kids that are mean to them. Whatever it looks like, we must consider in every facet of our life that the reason for our existence is for those that do not yet know of the grace that we know. As many have said, the church is the only institution on the face of the earth that exists for the sake of its non-members. What honors God and what fulfills his calling and his blessing is when we are so captivated by the grace that he has shown us in the gospel that we are compelled. Compelled not in our own power, but in the power of the spirit of Jesus Christ who was risen from the grave to love this fallen and broken world. Can we do that? No, not without Jesus. So Jesus, come and help us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people who believe uh, this remarkable story that see ourselves as the very real spiritual descendants of Father Abraham and who also see ourselves as the recipients of the same promises that you made to him. Father, you have called us in your sovereign elective grace as you called him. You have changed our hearts freely, not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but simply, Father, because it was your good and gracious pleasure to show us abounding love. And Father, now you, you have brought us together as a family to send us out into this world to love it. And Father, we confess that we are unwilling so often to do that. We confess that so often we don't even know where to go, just as Abraham didn't even know where Canaan was. Father, we're lost, and so we ask that you would help guide us. Father, we need your grace to sustain us, to give us love for you and for others. May we be a people 
who mimic your calling and your own mission to love this perishing world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.